0: Once again, good evening. My name is Neil Ortiz, and I serve as one of the pastors here. Uh, Many of you, I have the privilege of already knowing, but if you don't know who I am, I wanted to introduce myself to you and let you know that I'll be here sharing God's Word with you tonight. And uh, in preparation of that, would you please turn your Bibles to the book of John, chapter 14, verse 27. Now, before we begin looking in God's word, uh, Pastor Skip and his wife Lenya wanted me to announce to all of you that she had battled COVID recently. And that's why for the last couple of weeks, we haven't seen uh, Pastor Skip here in the pulpit. Uh, He chose to, as a matter of precaution and love, to stay at home to take care of her. And so we're really grateful for him doing that. She seems to be very much on the mend. And because of all timetables being respected, honored, and followed, uh, Pastor Skip is excited to anticipate rejoining us from the pulpit this coming weekend. And so if you would, thank God for for how well they're doing now. And again, I also look very forward to uh, Pastor Skip being back in the pulpit once again, You know, just on that note, if I could, as a brother in Christ and also as one who has leadership responsibilities here at a place of worship, and I just want you to know that I empathize with all of you for all the adjustments we've had to make over these last six or seven months, and uniquely perhaps for those of you who run organizations or perhaps yourself also are helping to lead places of worship, churches, it requires a lot of agility And it requires a lot of sweet dependence upon Christ, but it also requires a lot of attention to detail. And one thing I can uh, say is that when it comes to not just matters of law, but also of ethics, it's not always, in fact, unless permission is given, it's not appropriate to share people's private health information. And I know a lot of you have faced situations where you felt pressed by others who want to know certain things, but there's various reasons any of us would need to or perhaps choose to keep uh, matters of our own private health uh, private. And so with that, uh, I just urge all of us as brethren to continue to extend civility and grace to one another as we continue to navigate through a very interesting and totally unexpected season of life and ministry in what we're calling the year 2020. Would you please let me open us up in prayer before we dive into God's Word. God, I want to thank you so very much for the brothers and sisters that are joining us all around the globe and as well for those that are here with us tonight. God, you know each of us perfectly, the numbers of hairs on our head, in fact. And Lord, perhaps even more important than that, you know where our hearts are dialed in this evening. And so, God, we ask that you would meet us exactly where we are and that you would elevate our life in you, our experience in you, so that, God, we are able to move away from this time of gathering together as better men and better women for your purposes because we've sought to gather in your name to worship you in song and in understanding your word. And so, God, we uniquely invite you here for those purposes We ask, God, that you'd be glorified in how we gather this evening. We ask that we as a church would be edified by your spirit and your truth. And, God, if there be any with us who are feeling insecure about their relationship with you, that even by our gathering you would expand your kingdom by provoking, by the power of your great news, the gospel, new life, in some who are with us tonight. We ask all of this gratefully in the name of our mighty God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 So I've asked you to open up your Bibles to John chapter 14 verse 27. Our time together this evening is titled The Missing Piece. Question mark. Now most people live their lives with an acute awareness that they're missing something. Hopefully, it's eventually understood that this sense is actually a gift of God. Now, perhaps if we could deconstruct most people's lives, we would find that the chief motivation and goal of each individual life lived on earth could perhaps be boiled down to the pursuit of finding that something that is missing. You might say we discover at some point that we have a missing piece, if so to speak. Now, interestingly, this missing piece, P-I-E-C-E, always produces a lack of peace, or we might refer to that as peacefulness, P-E-A-C-E. Now, an indicator that any person is missing something is when that person is aware of their nagging lack of peacefulness. So, friends, as we gather, we're here to gather to be reminded that Jesus Christ has the provision for what we might be missing tonight and the peace. That we were created by him to experience. So I've already alluded to this in so many words, but for our purposes in this time together, you could say, as a play on words, that if we are suffering a missing piece segment in our lives, it is his missing piece or his peacefulness. And that's what we're here to examine. Now for all the reasons that already existed prior to 2020, this year has definitely provided more people and even greater and more amplified reasons to lack peacefulness. Whether it be illness or health concerns, dangers from enemies or perceived enemies, financial hardships or insecurity, political or social unrest, or even distrust or betrayal by loved ones. We might be experiencing this to the extent that we perhaps are pressed to even ask ourselves if it's even possible to experience peace in the world that we're currently living in. Well, the answer we find in Scripture and in Jesus Christ is always a resounding yes. But as I even declare that, I must warn us that at the same time as this peace is available to us, if we seek it in the wrong things or places, that pursuit will be dangerous and it will be disappointing. Now, you can always tell what people think they're missing by what they pursue. Where we aim to find this missing segment of our lives that would produce a peacefulness will actually determine not only if we find it, but it goes even further than that. It'll also determine whether or not we actually fulfill the very purpose that God created us to fulfill during our lifetime. On this earth, it's that big of a deal. The uh, the wages you might say are that high. The stakes are that significant. It's very true to say that to aim in the wrong place, to aim at the wrong things, to fill this missing piece would be for us to discover the very reason or reasons for a life wasted. The very reasons, perhaps, why some of us, God forbid, end up not fulfilling our God-given purpose in this life. Now, what we set our sights on to address this missing piece is truly the fulcrum point. It's the center of gravity in the battlefield of our lives as to whether or not we're going to fulfill God's purposes. It's the very reason why some of you, here and online, have God's peace right now. And for others, it's why you lack it. Yet if we get it right, Christ shows us and promises us that no matter what our condition or circumstances might be, we will live in a perpetual, abiding, unconquerable peace that no matter what our life circumstances are, Christ will enable us to prevail. It's a beautiful peace. It's a powerful, effectual peace. It's a peace that moves forward. It's victorious over anxiety, fear, doubt, despair. It allows us to move forward in courage and in confidence and in contentment. Now, in Scripture, this peace is referred to both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the word that we find in Scripture is the word shalom. The word in the New Testament is irene. In fact, it's where we get the English name irene, peace. Now, Tyndale Bible Commentary defines this peace as the, quote, total well-being of or prosperity of the soul and security associated with God's presence amongst his people. It's linked in the Old Testament with the covenant. The presence of peace was conditional based on Israel's obedience in the Old Testament. In the prophetic writings, true peace is part of the end-time hope of God's salvation. But as we move into the New Testament, Irene. Describes peace as a set of favorable circumstances involving peace and tranquility. Goes on to further say that it's this longed for peace understood as having come to us in Christ and able to be experienced by all believers. So, this peace that God promises in Scripture is more than just the absence of stressors in our lives. It's the presence of an abundance of well-being. If I have a visual in my mind, it would be perhaps the look of a person at the close of a very satisfying holiday meal. That once they take that final bite, they push away from the table and they just sit back in utter satisfaction and enjoyment. Peacefulness. So, How about you? Are you missing this peace? Do you have, as we've gathered now, this peacefulness within you? Here's a few answers that I would expect from all of us. If you say that you're not missing this peace, then that's a great indicator that perhaps you are living in this abundant life that Jesus proclaimed in John chapter 10. He said, I've promised that I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. So you might in fact be living in this peace. And if that is you, we want you to be affirmed and encouraged in that peace as you listen to this message. But I also ask that you would be mindful of someone that you know right now that isn't peaceful. And that you would be thinking about ways in which you could share God's truths with them to encourage them to get to that place of also having that same abiding peace. And yet perhaps there's some of you that would say, you know what, I think I am peaceful now. But maybe as we progress through our time together, you're going to realize that all of what you're calling peace is not coming from the right source. Maybe even, in part, it's coming from a counterfeit source. You might recognize or come to to, to have revealed to you that it's not the exact peace that Jesus Christ offers us in our passage. If that's the case, know that whatever you're experiencing is temporary. It'll eventually expire. It's not going to take you all the way through to the end of life and into eternity. You see, you can't mix this pure peace of God with any other from a counterfeit source. It dilutes it. It lessens its impact and its benefit. There may be some of us who currently are in a condition of being Without Christ. And if that is your condition, we're going to discover tonight that if you do have any peace within your life, that peace would be perhaps the result of what we would call blissful ignorance. But fear not, worry not, God can address that as well. And then there's some of us who are gathered here who are brutally honest. And we would admit that we're very troubled right now. For perhaps various reasons, trouble has come to our hearts. Maybe that's the very reason why you've decided to join together tonight. You know that your heart needs to be lifted by songs of encouragement and worship. And you're hoping to receive an encouraging word from God. If that is you, that is the perfect fertile soil for the peace that Jesus promises to us. You know, if that third condition is the condition you're in, it can even be further complicated because depending on where you are in life, and it's typically the older that people get, the more they experience this, they not only can acknowledge that they're lacking this peace that Christ promises, but they're also having difficulty looking back at years, sometimes even decades, of wasted life in wasted pursuits. If that's you, friend, be encouraged. Be encouraged. That same peace that was available to you decades ago, years ago, is available to you tonight. So with that, let me read this very sweet, short, yet powerful verse, a promise of Jesus Christ directly from his mouth into our hearts, where he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Jesus promises us that his peace he leaves with us, his peace he gives to us. So what we want to do in our time is take whatever our current condition is, we want to place it before God's court so that we can examine to know whether the peace that we're experiencing if we have any at all, is actually his peace. We want to put ourselves under the microscope of Scripture to discover this. In fact, God, through Paul the Apostle, to the second letter that we have to the Corinthians, said it this way in chapter 13, verse 5, in the first part of that verse, where we're told, Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith, test yourselves. And that's what we want to do in our time together. So as we look at this peace that Jesus provides, as we look to determine whether or not we have it, I want us to first consider that the cause of this peace is Christ. That word cause is a very important word. In fact, let me give you this definition of it so that we can appreciate the intent. Cause is used here, referring to Jesus as the cause of this peace, refers to a person or thing that acts or exists in such a way that some specific thing happens as a result. It's also described as the producer of an effect. And so we want to appreciate that Jesus Christ is the producer of this effect of peacefulness. As such, being from Christ, it's supernatural. Its origin is of God. It comes to us straight from heaven. And here we begin to see the uniqueness of this specific type of peace that Jesus has left And offers to us. So the first thing that needs to be stated. Is that if we are to have the very peace of God. We are to first to have made peace with God. And this is established by the fact of peace with God. It is the first step. It is the price of admission. Faith in God. To have peace with God. So, the prospect of living in peace, this peace Jesus describes, must first begin by being at peace with God. We can appreciate it as a transactional peace, but it's a transaction that He's entirely covered Himself. You see, He's done something for us, He's purchased it for us by His life, death, and resurrection that produces the forgiveness of sin. And one of the benefits of that is this peace that he seeks to impart to us as a gift, a deposit of peace that he wants to place in our lives. Christian, why is it so significant at this point of considering the cause of this peace, the origin of this peace, the very gospel that if we who are in Christ have already believed, why is it important? It's important for a matter of perspective. In the gospel, we come to remember that Jesus Christ himself has solved the greatest problem every one of us will ever face. And that is the issue of our sinfulness. Christ, by his life, death, and resurrection, has completely addressed, fully resolved, the greatest problem we will ever face. Therefore, every other problem that we will ever face on this side of heaven, by very comparison, is a lesser problem. And friend, if he can solve our greatest problem, he is not intimidated by every other problem that we're ever going to face. Christian, your greatest trouble, in fact, let me use this word, your greatest tribulation, That word tribulation carries an added strength to the idea of trouble. Tribulation carries with it a grievous trouble, a severe trial or suffering. Your greatest tribulation is not as painful and difficult and challenging as each of these things are. It is not illness or health concern. It is not danger, even from an earthly enemy. It is not financial hardships or insecurity. It's not political or social unrest. It's not even distrust or betrayal by loved ones. It is sin. And here's how Christ tells us he solved it. If you could hold your place at John 14, 27, turn over with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Here we discover one of the centerpieces of Scripture where God tells us how he fully resolved our greatest problem. And it's by the very person of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, Paul writes, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Justification by faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ results in us having peace with God. This peace is of necessity having to be produced because prior to this peace, we're told in that very same chapter that we were at war with God. In fact, in verse 10 of chapter 5, it says we were enemies of God. And yet it goes on to say, and this is the good news, for if when we were enemies, yet we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Now, I want us to go back up to verse 3 of chapter 5, because here's a truth where I believe God in Scripture shows us how he... As our Lord and Savior, as the source of our life and peace, turns the experience of earth for every human being on its head. Verse 3, follow with me. Not only have we been justified by faith, resulting in peace with God, not only that, but here it is, but we also glory in tribulations. It doesn't say we run from tribulations. It doesn't say we design our lives to avoid every tribulation. It will come to us. Rather, we're told we're able now to glory in tribulations. Why? And God goes on to explain through Paul. He says, knowing that these very tribulations, produce perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Friend, illness and health concerns are very real, and yet God in his redemptive nature for the man or woman in Christ redeems them to actually be worked together for our greater good. And the same can be said of any danger from an enemy, or financial hardship or insecurity, or political and social unrest, or even distrust or betrayal by others. That is fantastic news. Not only can God give us this peace, but as we face these and perhaps other hardships, We recognize that God is utilizing them to make us a better man or a better woman for his purposes. Some of us are dealing with incredible pain and great disappointments right now. Hopes that we were placing our hearts on have not come to pass. Resources that we trusted, perhaps labored years to be there for us, have diminished. Opportunity has gone by the wayside. And yet we have this promise from God that because of his life and peace, peace with God, we can also have these very tribulations be redeemed for our greater good. You see, when it comes to this peace with God, this transactional peace, a transaction that he fully satisfied himself, it was at the cross where our debt was paid. The separation from God that we had had been closed. We were reunited with him. So in Christ we have what Scripture refers to as reconciliation. Here's another great characteristic about this reconciliation. Reconciliation. It's a fact that doesn't always have with it a requisite feeling. Now, for most of us, this feeling, the uh, peacefulness that comes from peace with God, is often experienced. But there are times in our lives, we're human, where we just don't feel it, right? Sometimes we wonder, we doubt, we wake up perhaps with insecurity, not knowing if it's true that God loves us as much as He tells us he loves us in scripture. We have those times. But I'm grateful that in those times, my hope is anchored on the fact of this peace with God. And it's peace that's been established because of this reconciliation. You know, for some of us, perhaps, I'm not sure what the cutoff age is, but if you're maybe 30 years or older, You might have had some level of experience. The older we are, the more of us have had bona fide experience with this, but you might have had experience reconciling a checkbook. And there was something interesting about the paper and the writing instrument and the ledger and doing all the math, writing it down. Most of us do that perhaps now online in some form of online banking where we reconcile uh, what we have coming in with what we have going out. And when everything is satisfied, then our accounts have been reconciled. When a debt is paid, the debt has been reconciled. And scripture uses that word very specifically, reconciliation. Christ has paid the balance for those who have peace with him. If you've not yet made peace with him, that balance is still outstanding. But the good news of the gospel is that he's made a way for your debt to be paid, resulting in the fact of a person's peace with God. But I want to move now from a consideration of the fact of peace with God for the Christian to what I would refer to as the feeling of the peace of God for the Christian. The experience of, of being peaceful, we can ask ourselves, what is the peace of God? If I were to try to describe it or distill it down to what it is in essence, we can say that the peace of God is faith in God. It's believing God. It's trusting him. Now, with that being the case, it leads me to ask the next question how is it that I maximize the amount of this peace of God that I could possibly have? How do I cultivate it? You don't have to turn there, but I want to read Romans chapter 10, verse 17, where we're told that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You see, peace is the result of believing It's the result of putting our faith in God. This faith results from meditating on God's truth, focusing on God and his character, and reasoning out in our minds why it is that we can completely trust God. As we present ourselves to God's word, by the reading of it, by the studying of it, by the hearing of it, Our mind is locked in to God himself. And this activates, by his truth, greater belief. We can look at it as truth is the activator of faith and belief in God. And in another part of scripture, we're also told further how we can cultivate this faith. Again, no need to turn there, I'll just read it to us. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. Here we have this declaration that you, God, will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Do you see that cause and effect? When a person's mind is focused in on God, trusting in God, The result is that God will keep him in perfect peace. That's the kind of peace that I want to live in. Friend, when we have this peace, we don't operate for this peace. We operate from this peace. This abiding peacefulness is a sign of a very mature Christian in their faith. It's the sign of a cured faith. And it's a faithfulness or it's a faith that results in a peacefulness that is available to all of us. There's a visual in Scripture that I think embodies this well. And it comes to us in the Gospels when the disciples were out on the boat and the water became tempestuous. And there Jesus was in the middle of a storm walking on the water towards the disciples. The disciples saw him. And they believed it was him, but they weren't sure. And Peter, Peter had the experience of a lifetime. He was called by Christ to step out of the boat, to walk on the water towards him. And we see in that event that Peter, in fact, did just that. He put his feet on the water, and there he was, like Jesus, by Jesus, walking on the water. But what happened? We're told that as long as he focused on Christ, he was walking on the water. But the moment he took his eyes off of Christ and onto the storm around him, he began to what? He began to sink. And so the idea for us now is whatever tempest-tossed circumstance we find ourselves in, whatever hope that has not come to pass, whatever dream That has not yet been fulfilled. That if we look to Christ in the midst of all of it, we're not gonna sink because God will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him because he trusts in him. Your very relationship with Christ is what will carry you through this life in peacefulness no matter what circumstances. You encounter. It's the same thing that will carry you into eternity with him. Let me give you this warning. When a person lives like this, on either side of the experience, just be prepared that there are times where it can feel a bit annoying. What do I mean by that? Well, let's look at it from one side first. When there's a great disappointment, something that might even be cataclysmic, or when there's a great suffering, oftentimes our expectation is that everyone will experience great trouble from it, a troubled heart. And it's important for us to recognize that it is very possible to still experience disappointment and yet have an even greater abiding peacefulness like that which Jesus promises. It's very possible to still experience pain, great emotional pain, or even great physical pain, and yet still have this abiding peacefulness from Christ. But that doesn't mean that in great disappointment or in great pain and in great suffering, it doesn't mean that our hearts have to be troubled as if God is no longer on the throne. And yet, when somebody has that strong faith and we're part of the crowd or the group that is suffering, sometimes we might not appreciate that person's lack of trouble in the midst of the storm. Sometimes it can feel a bit annoying. Like, can't you just get in the boat of despair with me? Can't you just be bummed out with me a little bit more? And yet, if that ever happens for any of us, let it rather be an inspiration to us that though we suffer disappointment or pain, we can also still experience an even greater abiding peacefulness of God. Then there's the other side of it. There's times where we feel as if other people around us are trying to bring us down. We might be one gifted of God to have that prevailing peacefulness that comes from a strong faith in Christ despite the disappointment, despite the pain. Don't let other people's hands put their fingers on your thermostat of trust in God. In fact, persevere knowing that you offer them a living epistle of hope, that though they're suffering now, though they're greatly disappointed now, it's possible because of your example that they can still have peacefulness. Now, why would this even be the case? Part of it's because of our imperfect human nature, because we're people. Every one of us is susceptible every day to have what we might label as a good day or a bad day. An often remembered verse for me, especially in the context of life and ministry with so many Christians, is the first part of Romans chapter 15 where we're told, you who are strong bear with the scruples of the weak. And what I like about that is it's not a verse for us to say, ooh, I'm the strong person, look at me, and yes, I will have pity on you and bear with you meager, scruple-suffering people. That's not the intention. In fact, if we're honest, any one of us at any given time are going to find ourselves in one of those two categories. There might be days or seasons where we're the strong person. Thank God. And we're able to have resources with which to bear with the scruples of the weak. But like clockwork, because we're human, there are also those days where we're the ones that's weak. I'm so grateful for that verse in Scripture because it alerts me to the fact that God knows there's going to be those days where we are the ones feeling weak, functioning weakly. And yet He's provided in His faithfulness others to be strong enough to bear up under us, to keep us standing. And yet in our humanness, Sometimes there's a component of choice. We just don't want to abide in God's peacefulness. It's a sad reality that not every Christian, even though they've established peace with God, experiences the peace of God. I look back at my 27 years of knowing Christ and there are seasons where I was less than I could have been for my Savior, where I benefited less than I could have from my relationship with Christ. And it may come down to simple matters of choice. I just didn't want it. I might have been pursuing this peace in other things. So whereas this peace with God and peace of God has as its cause Christ himself, he's the producer of this effect of peacefulness, I want to spend the remainder of our time considering what I would refer to as the counterfeits of Christ and his peace. Why might this be an important exercise? Well, Jesus says in the latter part of our verse in John chapter 14, verse 27, that he gives peace, quote, not as the world gives, Do I give to you? In other words, he wants us to be aware that there is a difference. He wants us to be aware that there exist counterfeits, and he wants to warn us of those counterfeits. You know, we might say that this pursuit of peace for most, if not all, people to have ever existed on earth is the very thing that makes their world go round. It's what gets them up in the morning out of bed. It's what gets them moving in pursuit of something that they might benefit from, a peacefulness after achieving it or obtaining it. And because these counterfeits exist, the one who is not a Christian and the Christian alike are all susceptible to the allurement, the deception of these counterfeits. It's the reason why many of us as Christians can consider that at various times in our lives, we've believed false promises. We allow ourselves to get duped only to find danger and disappointment. So if the peace Jesus gives is not as the world gives peace What are some of the ways that the world, quote, gives peace? How does it offer its peace to us? As I go through this list, it's by no means a complete list, but it's simply a list of some of the more common counterfeits that we're uniquely susceptible to. As I go through this list, I want to plant in your mind an illustration. It's an illustration that some of us who are older, when you look back in your memory bank, and you think of old variety shows on television, old entertainment shows. I remember in in, in the 70s, when I was just a young kid, there'd be these variety shows, and inevitably, whether it was the gong show or something of that nature, there would be somebody who would be a person who spun plates on what looked like cue sticks, right? Tall, slender sticks. I don't know why that was so common, But for whatever reason, it often made television. And so for those of you that are younger who who have perhaps never seen it, there's not a whole lot of rocket science here. They would simply stand up sticks, sometimes five, sometimes ten, and they would literally spin plates on it. And the goal was to have the number of plates spinning atop each individual stick that you had lined up, whether it was five or ten, and have them all spinning at once. And once that final one was spun, at the same time that the others were still spinning, the person would step back and raise their hands with a a victorious type of, of, of hand gesture of declaration that they did it. And literally it would last like one or two seconds until what happened with all the plates? They'd fall and crash, right? That's a perfect illustration of how so many people live every day of their life. They identify what they think are going to be the sources of their peace. They line those sticks up and then they labor to spin that plate. And if they're fortunate, they can come to relatively short periods of time where they look at their plates and they take a big step back and they feel like like they've made it. Friend, if it is not the peace of Christ, as I said already, it is temporary. That experience will expire. It doesn't take you into eternity, and it comes with great disappointment. So let's go through these plates, if so to speak. As I go through them, I've got to note something. Not all of them are sinful. Some indeed are. Those are typically obvious. Some are deceptive. In and of themselves, they're not sinful. But if the motivation is wrong, they can be sinful. But there's a lot of these things that aren't sinful. But they become sinful if they become the source of your hope. If they come to you promising that they can offer you the peace that only Christ can, then they're trouble for you. There's also a couple of these that most of us would consider just flat-out responsibilities. They're responsibilities that if God enables us to acquire them or to do them, great. But I love the fact, love this fact, that I never have to apologize for not being responsible for something that God didn't put in my hands to be responsible for, or he didn't give me the ability to be responsible with. Why do I put it that way? Well, there's times people want your time, right? And in our day and age, there's a funky thing that happens quite often and because almost all of us, in fact, I'm probably sure all of us in this room, have, we have a mobile phone. And there are people around us, not all of them, certainly none of us here, but there are people around us that believe that because they have a phone and they have your number that if they make contact with you, your time is required of them. And yet, so many of you have so many responsibilities that you can't always tend to those opportunities or invitations to share that time. I've had to come to a place where I can acknowledge that if I have a limitation... God knows that limitation. In fact, I want to trust that he's the source of that limitation. What I don't want to do is apologize for not being able to do that which God did not enable me to do. Because there's a crazy thing that happens. You see, by implication, it's almost as if we're apologizing for God's bad choice or bad provision. You might look at the transaction this way. Somebody says they have a need that they'd like me to fulfill. I can look honestly at what I have and say, I don't have the resources to meet that need. There are other ways that perhaps I can come alongside you. I can, I can pray for you. I can perhaps give you direction to another source. But if I don't have it, I don't have it. But if I apologize for not having it, it's almost like I'm speaking ill of God, like I'm Impugning his character. I might look at it this way. I might say, you know, Michael, I don't have it, man, but I wish I did. But, you know, God's holding out on you, man. In fact, God's holding out on me too. And if it was up to me, oh, I'd provide it. But, you know, he's holding out. It impugns his character. It's not a good thing. And so some of these are responsibilities. But they're only responsibilities when God gives us the ability to be responsible with it. So, the first counterfeit I want us to consider is the promise of imperfect peace from products. Products. Now, some of you have the same experience I have when I watch television or online media. Anything video or visual. And there they are selling a product, whether it's an automobile or a lotion or who knows what it might be. And as the people are experiencing the product, they look at each other in the advertisement and it's not necessarily euphoria that they're demonstrating, but this tranquility, this peacefulness. My car is so safe. I can look over at my spouse as we're driving down the road with the kids behind us, and I just have this abiding tranquility. Now, look, there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing sinful about that. But that is not the peace that Christ is promising. That kind of experience, whether it's the result of owning an automobile or any other kind of possession, Any other prized pursuit in a tangible material form is only going to take you farther away from the abiding peace that is what Christ is promising. You see, some of us medicate ourselves or um, give ourselves a form of self-help by endlessly shopping. That experience of pursuing the acquisition of things is where we hope to find a peacefulness. For others, it's looking at what you've already acquired and just glorying in it. Maybe nurturing it even to a far greater extent than it deserves attention. Friend, we're told in Scripture, life does not consist in the abundance of things or the accumulation of goods. In fact, Jesus put it this way in Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Jesus says to them, take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. The next counterfeit is the promise of imperfect peace from Prosperity, prosperity. There are some of us whom God has given a large stewardship. Another way to explain what that would refer to is you are wealthy or you have resources in an amount that's above average. This prosperity could be referring to our wealth, or riches, or reserves, our investments, whatever our account balances might be. And if, in fact, we have been given a large stewardship, remember what Scripture says. Paul writes, 1 Timothy 6, verse 17, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty. Overly confident, proud, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but rather in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Do not pin your hopes for this kind of peacefulness in your prosperity. Some of you had rude awakenings this past 6 to 12 months as the markets have taken a turn on some of your investments. That's hard. It hurts when that happens. But when your peace is from Jesus Christ, it's not tied to the ups or downs of any investment market. Then there's the promise of imperfect peace from physical wellness. Physical wellness. This refers to our health, our strength, our vigor, our physical abilities. There's nothing wrong with being a good steward of these bodies. In fact, it's responsible to be a good steward of our bodies. But some of us have learned that that can be so temporary and so fleeting. One day when an injury occurs, one visit where a diagnosis is given, and all of that seems to go out from under us, and immediately we're standing on a sea of marbles, no longer confident in our physical wellness. So to whatever level we have, functionality, to whatever degree we're ambulatory, productive, be thankful for it but don't pin your hopes for peace on it. Then there's also the counterfeit, the promise of imperfect peace from politics, whether that be political parties or political platforms or perhaps even the politicians themselves. There's nothing wrong with us advocating for values that are what we believe to be closest to the heart and the purposes of God. In fact, be vocal as we could and should be vocal given the freedoms that we have. And yet, think back to first century Rome and how little they had back then in the way of political freedom or political opportunity. And yet, the Christians because of peace with God and experiencing the peace of God, were able to triumph in the midst of those great tribulations that they experienced as a result of very little political representation. And it was in that very hostile, very persecuting environment that we come to receive one of the greatest truths from the early church, And that is this, the blood of the martyrs was in fact the seed of the church. Tertullian, church father, gives us that truth. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. So we might even think, what is our future regarding religious liberty? I don't know. But I know Christ is not bound by it. In fact, he can redeem it to become... Even more effective innocent through us to expand his fame across our nation, in our city. Peace with God and the peace of God turns life on earth on its head for the Christian. Friend, we cannot lose. No matter what it is that's causing you pain or disappointment tonight. You can glory in it. Why? Because God, by his nature as redeemer, can turn it for our greater good in him. There's also the false promise of imperfect peace from what we might refer to as protections. Uh, think of making your house a fortress. Every now and then, and some of you can identify with this, you come across a YouTube video of a guy who built an underground bunker in his backyard. And if you're like me, you think at some point, that's pretty cool, I, I wonder if I should do that. I really wish I had already done it. Nothing bad with having that. Maybe it's a fortress, a bunker, maybe it's weapons, maybe it's insurance policies, we're protecting ourselves from the uncertainty of the future. And yet, don't forget, the psalmist tells us in chapter 20, verse 7 of Psalms some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. If you have those, fine. Still, don't trust in them. Trust in God and his character. Then there's the promise of imperfect peace from pleasure. Oh, entertainment. I'll tell you, there were some of us, I might have been in this camp, that come late winter, early spring when spectator sports had all ceased, the day that I found out March Madness was canceled for 2020, I felt a little bit of anxiety because I knew I was gonna be missing this source of, of entertainment. And then that was only the beginning of things, right? a lot of us that went through a healthy period of withdrawals, and perhaps we're better for it. Uh, We become purified in it. Pleasure comes in many forms, the gratifying of our flesh with food, with fragrance, with fashion, and God forbid, perhaps one of the most common and devastating, fornication, sexual immorality of all kind. Friend, we have to be very cautious of seeking a constant line of dopamine coursing through our veins with hits of experiences, whether it's attending events or concerts or outings or going on vacations or having excursions. These things in and of themselves may not be wrong, but to pin our hopes for producing peace on them is only going to lead to great disappointment. Then there's imperfect peace from people, relationships. God's best to you with this one. Why? God did not create people to carry the burden of being the source of our peace. There are times the experiences and the relationships produce for us great enjoyment, and their presence brings a certain peace, but it's never the peace that is abiding like the peace of Christ. And then lastly, there's the imperfect peace from what I would call peace, or the absence of conflict. You know, there's times, there's seasons in our lives where it seems like there's a ceasing of conflict, but typically that's just a lull. And we don't know what conflict will come our way, what disruptive influence will come our way. But we can't bank on just pursuing, or trying to build a life free of conflict. Scripture promises us that as sure as the sparks fly upward, man is born to trouble. It's going to come to us. So as we close, I want us to simply consider a few things. Perhaps going through this list for some of us has served as a stress test. Maybe we feel like we've identified some areas that we need to no longer place our hopes in. You see, all of these counterfeits, none of them contain any points of true north. They're all faulty compass points. Any thinking that sounds like this, if I can just, and you fill in the blank, then I'll be peaceful. Anything other than Jesus Christ and the peace he provides reveals to us that we're not where we need to be. We're not there yet, but we can get there. Now, I've discovered that when I don't have God's peace, it's an indicator that I'm pursuing it in things that will never produce it. It's a healthy alert, a healthy warning sign. Its absence results in the indicator light being on, on the dashboard of my faith, telling me that I'm off course. I'm going the wrong direction. I'm pursuing the wrong path. I've forgotten the truth. Now, the absence of any of those counterfeits can produce fear and trouble in the hearts of any person. But the only solution or provision is the peace of Christ himself. Some of us, if we're honest, would say, you know what, I hear what you're saying, I hear these words of Christ, but I don't want that peace. I like those counterfeits. I kind of want that instead. Friend, that's not how it works. Just because we might want or prefer those, God and his love has informed us, they're not going to satisfy. They're only going to lead to great danger and disappointment. Galatians chapter 6, verse 14 says, But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. So Jesus says he gives peace, not as the world gives peace. Paul says the world has been crucified to him, and he to the world. So here's where we find ourselves. needing to be crucified to all on that list of counterfeits as ever believing for them to be any source of any peace. Yet, as we come back to our verse from which we begin, we read with great encouragement, Peace I leave with you, says Jesus. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Therefore, let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be afraid. I'm going to close by pointing out that Jesus uttered these words on the Thursday night of what we call Passion Week. The Thursday night of his final week of life here on this earth. The Thursday night before what led to his crucifixion and his sufferings. Even with that in view, he gives us this promise. If he can look to that suffering that he in his omniscience knew he would suffer and still speak of this peace as a prevailing peace, as a conquering peace, as a victorious peace, we need to be encouraged with whatever we're facing right now. Whatever disappointment we're processing, whatever pain we're feeling, emotional, physical, we need to have that encouragement that Christ gives this promise with the view of his excruciating suffering of his final days on this earth. What is the result? I leave you with this, the words of Christ. Let, let not Your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. That word let tells us we have a choice. You see, if I were to look at life as being uh, analogous to a team on a basketball court, Jesus is running point, and he has the ball, and he passes it to us. This ball is now in our hands. He's made everything possible for us to have this peace and to not have a troubled heart and to not be afraid. Our choice is to take him at his word, to take him up on this promise. It's so worthy. I want to close by reading it one more time as our encouragement and as our charge. Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So Lord, you with perfect knowledge of who we are and where we are, we ask that you would be very active in our hearts and minds that if any of us must relinquish hope that we've placed in any counterfeit source or counterfeit type of peace, that, God, you would give us the grace to walk away from it, to leave it, to no longer hope in it. And, Lord, for all of us, on this side of heaven, there's always room to grow in this experience, And so, God, we ask that you would give us grace to be able to experience your life and life more abundantly, specifically in this area of you granting to us the experience of your abiding peace, this peace that you give us as a gift, this peace that is from you, that you deposit into our hearts, into our lives, and that as a result no matter what brothers and sisters are facing, whether it's deep disappointment, things that would produce fear and anxiety, great emotional or physical pain, that our hearts would not be troubled, that we would let our hearts not be afraid. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this special service from Calvary Church. We'd love to know how this message impacted you. Email us at mystory@calvarynm.church. At and just a reminder, you can support this ministry with a financial gift at calvarynm.church. Thank you for joining us for this teaching from Calvary Church.